2: Hello and welcome to The Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, as Disney and Fox tie the knot, what does it all mean for the sky bid and for Murdoch's newsprint empire? Also on the programme, BuzzFeed announced big cuts to its UK news operation and awards season continues as we look at the winners of the British Journalism Awards. Plus, we answer these questions. Why is Apple investing in audio search technology? How will AI destroy our newsrooms? And why, after all this time, has the Media Quiz only now decided to base a quiz around Netflix statistics? The answers are all to come on today's media podcast. And joining me today is the creative director of Folder Media, It's Matt Deegan. Hello. Uh, Matt, it's about this time every year that you put the fear of God into people about young people on YouTube that they've never heard of.
3: Yeah, so
2: YouTube Rewind has just popped
3: up online. Uh, If you haven't seen it, this is where YouTube spent quite a lot of money creating a sort of music video mashup that includes lots of famous vloggers. And... Often when it appears, people say, I don't know any of these people, and they pretend that that's an acceptable thing to say. And my response is always, if you make media for people under 30 and you cannot name any of these people, you are absolutely 100% in the wrong. And at the end of the video, there's lots of links to those
2: people and their channels. No one's ever started a show as my guest, describing me as 100% wrong before. (laughs) But who should I be aware of? I don't watch YouTube.
3: I think this is the thing. It's like this is a. a No, I want a name. I want a person. So in video gaming, in video gaming, like Markiplier and Dan TDM.
2: Markiplier. Mark Eplier. Markiplier. What does he do?
3: So he makes videos about video games. Why Uh, do I need to know who he is? Because if you're under thirty tv consumption for younger people live tv consumption is in decline you know where are these people consuming video content of which they're consuming a lot is youtube and they like these personalities in the same way that we liked tv personalities because that's all that we could consume on screens these have huge relationships with audiences and we should understand why they're popular because that's the changing nature of what people consume and also it's different form a lot of it's very entertaining as well
2: and joining Matt this week is an investigative reporter and host of one of the biggest podcasts this year. It is The Tip Off's Maeve McClanahan. Hello, Maeve. Hi. I apologize, I'm losing my voice as I say your name. You. It's no discredit. The Tip Off made The Observer's top 10 radio listens of the year. Congratulations. Thank you. Remind us of the concept.
0: Sure. So we launched about six months ago. The idea is that, you know, I'm an investigative journalist, I have lots of friends that are investigative journalists. Often they produce these amazing stories, but what I find even more interesting is the tales they tell down the pub of how they got there, of when their wigs started to slip and they thought they were going to get found out or when they got, you know completely twist and turn down the wrong path and it all went wrong for a second and then they've managed to write it again. So the idea with the tip-off is that each episode kind of digs into a different investigation in and in that kind of serial way we kind of go along on the journey with the investigative journalist. But just for
2: one episode? Exactly. It's exactly. not let's do a 10 episode arc about no. uh, I mean, a scoop? I mean
0: I would love to do that but I have a life and a full-time job as well <laughs> so uh, no for now it's just uh, one episode, one investigation.
2: Excellent, well well done. Now as we record thanks to the unique way the media podcast is uh, funded and put together. There are noises off that Disney are about to agree a deal to acquire 21st Century Fox from Rupert Murdoch and co. And by the time you listen to this, you'll know whether that's happened. Let's assume that it's happened. Matt, what does it mean? There's two things, isn't there? There's Rupert
3: Murdoch is now a seller rather than a buyer. And that's quite a shift on what he's done for the last 50 years. 80 uh, years, basically. Uh, <laughs> and then the, the other side is, you know, for Disney, they put on Quite a a clip acquiring brands and, and assets, and this gives them some film studios, particularly with 20th Century Fox. Right now, we're not sure. It's probably unlikely that the Fox TV network, the sort of analogue TV network, um, we imagine Fox News and Fox Sport won't go across because it would create competition concerns for Disney. But yeah, they, they, they scoop up pretty much the number three media operator in America. It's a significant acquisition.
2: So Fox News won't go across because of competition concerns. Also because it's kind of awkward, isn't it? I mean, I know Disney have owned a whole bunch of stuff that's not exactly aligned to Mickey Mouse in the past, including mm. Miramax. But... Fox News, I mean, of all the brands, it's not necessarily toxic. It depends on your point of view. It's certainly opinionated.
3: And Fox News generates, I think, about a billion dollars of profit. So it's an amazing horrible deceitful business but, but you if know, you're one of the biggest family uh, companies in the world yeah, probably it's, not a good idea it's difficult a lot of people on twitter were saying it'd be amazing if disney owned fox because they would turn it into a more centrist network which i think would probably make it unsuccessful again. <laughs> but no i think uh, there's a complexity because disney own abc and whilst abc doesn't really have a news channel of such it's more about the the tv broadcasting affiliates and i think if they're going to keep the tv broadcasting affiliates they might as well keep the cash cow which is which is is Fox News?
2: Why would Murdoch want to sell off the bit that's worth money and keep the news bit, which you know historically has had problems? Is it just because he's a newsman? That's what people have said, isn't it, for decades? What he cares about is print, actually.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting timing with what's happening with the Sky bid as well over here. Is there a kind of change in tact as the angles that he's going for? But yeah, it's certainly an interesting one. Perhaps it's just that it's a particularly profitable time.
3: I mean, I think that the challenge for, for all of those super large media companies is that transition from broadcast to, to on-demand, you know, Netflix, uh, success, Amazon Prime, success, the money that's going into it from those operators, Disney themselves, so they're going to pull all their material off of Netflix 2018, 2019, to launch their own streaming service or to kind of relaunch Disney Life, which does exist at the moment, but hasn't really been successful. Yeah, it's not going to be called that, is it? It'll um, be called something better. Yeah, but again, you know, this is... If, Mickey Flakes. If they're... they're building out a, a Netflix killer, having access to the X-Men Simpsons. and The Simpsons and all the the Alone, Century Christmas Fox Time. stuff. All the greats. Avatar. Then it, it gives them even more content. And actually, if you're... If you are Netflix, that's potentially another chunk of content you can't have access
2: to. Okay, but that's why it makes sense for Disney. Mm. Why does it make sense for. Actually, basically, no, no, this is no, about but, why does it make sense for Rupert Murdoch? Because and that's think, the biggest surprise, isn't it? Nothing. No, we do a prediction special every year. No one has ever said, this is the year Rupert Murdoch's going to sell everything. But is that, that realization that it is difficult to compete? in that market.
3: The movie business has been quite a flat performer profit-wise for them. So you know what? Keep to what he does know and does do very well, which is the news end, both in the news side and in what is left with 21st Century Fox. I think what's interesting is what happens... Does it go into News Corp or is it sort of son of 21st century Fox? Because actually both those assets are starting to be more similar.
2: Is it still called News Corp? Is that because here it's News UK, isn't it? But is there still I a News Corp? It's, it's so confusing.
3: News Corp is the global right, okay. news parent of the Australian and, and news, news UK.
2: Maeve, what do you think it does mean here in the UK for News UK? If you work for The Sun or The Times, what does it mean for you?
0: Good question. There's kind of uncertain times now, you know, with Parliament thinking about the sky bid and and all of this kind of area of this kind of monopolisation that Murdoch press has had for such a long time. I don't know that this will go any way to actually addressing that here in the UK, because as we said, it's, you know, it's a kind of siphoning off of elements of it that don't really correspond to the news element. So I'm not sure it's going to actually impact mini shard the guys that work over there and in the sun and the times and things but it's certainly going to be an interesting times in terms of tv news coverage over here
3: i think with the sky deal it's much more likely to go through i think with disney as the parent company and actually if you're 21st century fox it's like there is a little bit of risk around the sky bid and reputational impact it's another perhaps reason why you might sell it on i think the other interesting bit though is a disney owned sky would they carry on with sky news so you know, Sky News has always been loss making the Murdochs like that it exists it's been good for Sky to have Sky News but as part of a wider Disney Corp they don't need that reputational value so much and I'd be interested to see what happens
2: it would be really interesting to see the reaction in the UK media as well because the very people who are tub-thumpingly anti-Murdoch would be the people who would be up in arms if Sky News shut down because mm-hmm. it doesn't make any money let's stick with uh, Britain and Fleet Street gathering for the Press Gazette British Journalism Awards maybe you were There. A bit more than that. Yes. Congratulations are in order. Thank you. You won an award. Yes. What was it for? The team
0: did. So we won the Innovation Award, which was (laughs) a cool one to win. I work at the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, and we have a project called Bureau Local, which is all about energising and supporting and facilitating local journalists all across the country what does that mean so yeah good question we have 450 members in our network and what it means is in the past year we've produced over 100 stories with them and essentially it's that local journalists are really hard-pressed time and resource wise they don't often have the time to do the kind of extra fiddly heavy lifting data elements of an investigation or putting all the pieces together so we do elements of the investigative project and then we partner up with them so that they can tell their story in their local area. So we just did a big project about funding for domestic violence refuges all across the UK, where we pulled in all this data, we did a kind of survey, and then the local journalists were able to say what was happening in Yorkshire, what was happening in Norwich. So it's this kind of new collaborative way of working, trying to work along the kind of ICIJ, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, who do the Panama Papers and Paradise Papers. This kind of model of if we all work together on the same thing, the sum of our parts is much bigger than us individually trying to scoop each other.
2: Well, so it seems within the industry. Yeah. Well done. Who else were the big winners of the night?
0: Yeah, there was some really, I mean, it was a fantastic event. There was an amazing kind of shortlist finalist. It's one of those events where it's equally inspirational and also kind of devastating because it's just heart-hitting story after heart-hitting story. The topics mm. that people have covered have been absolutely heartbreaking this year.
2: It's that awkward thing, isn't there? You see this at Radio Based Awards, don't you, as well, Matt, where people are smiling for a photo and it's because of Grenfell. Exactly. Or, you know, exactly. A, or a Manchester attack. Or
0: cheer yeah <laughs> yeah it's always a little bit you know confusing in the room but yeah there were some uh, amazing journalists recognized there so channel four's program on series disappeared won best investigation buzzfeed won for for the business award for their expose of rbs and they're selling off and stripping of, of smaller businesses nick ferrari won best journalist of the year yeah
2: the which I, I mean laura coonsberg won last year and i guess she's a broadcast journalist who really But Nick Ferrari is a radio journalist. Basically, he's a radio presenter. Were you surprised, Matt, that he won the Journalist of the Year? Yeah, I think LBC has had another good, strong
3: year. That show has done very well. He has a newspaper background. And without knowing too much about the awards, because there's a lot of newspaper journalists who are judging that category, perhaps it would make more sense that someone that they're, they're familiar with doing a great job would perhaps do well with that.
2: But it was on the basis in their citation that his interview with Diane Abbott... Where she had a little moment around her figures mm-hmm. was the moment of the election. Do you think, if you look back across the last year in journalism, that is the best example of journalism?
0: Yeah, that was certainly cited a few times on the night when talking about his work.
2: Because it was—it seems to me that like it was kind of a meme rather than a moment, really.
0: I mean, and there can be questions raised of just how hard is it to trip up Tiana <laughs> on a bad day, I, mean, I, I think he's brilliant so and he did a great yeah, job. No, but just-
2: it, how much work was required on his part to make that moment happen is kind of what I'm asking. I mean Piers Morgan also dripped up Diane Abbott on TV that morning, I remember watching it.
0: I felt this year, because I have been to the awards previous years, it felt like this year there was a kind of widening of what they were looking at. So there was a podcast in the Innovation Award. It's kind of cutting edge new (laughs) (laughs) medium. There was See, I don't need to watch YouTube (laughs) (laughs) now. There was radio and you know, there's always been T V and it's but it felt like maybe there was a concerted shift away from the kind of old school there's only one form of best journalist and that has to be an investigation and it has to be Sunday Times, Insight Teams. You know, there's definitely scope for recognising other forms of journalism.
2: I was quite surprised as well to see uh, Keith Vaz's dalliances with prostitutes and Edgware being the scoop of the year. I mean, that was something that I remember when the story came out, me thinking, Christ, no one expected that. But at the same time, a lot of questions were raised about whether that should have been front page news and whether it was an intrusion of his privacy he actually had to fight quite hard to justify it.
0: Yeah, and I think the argument there was there was public interest because of his responsibilities in kind of cracking down on vice and the kind of laws around it. But yeah, it felt like those had to be kind of laid out to explain why just that was public interest and not just salacious gossiping. Still, (laughs) Uh, scoop
2: of the year, apparently. Uh, Okay, uh, you mentioned BuzzFeed as well amongst the winners and there's been a bit of a muted atmosphere in their newsroom this week because they've announced almost a third of their UK staff are facing the chop. What do we make of this?
0: Yeah, it's pretty devastating, I think. You know, I have freelanced a bit for BuzzFeed in the past, but also, you know, just for the UK media scene, I think they've been doing some amazing stuff, both their investigations team and their news coverage. And to be honest, they hire, they have a much more diverse newsroom, I think, than most other publications here in the UK. So the idea that some of those younger journalists from a wider range of backgrounds than we're used to might now find themselves looking for work is, is... Devastating. But it's
2: happening, Matt, because ultimately they're a business and there's rumours that they're trying to sell isn't there at the moment as well. You know, if, if the British arm isn't making the money it should, that's a decision they've taken.
3: I think it's the, the standard way that a lot of those internet startups work in that they have lots of cash coming in in funding rounds and it's grow, 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 grow and you don't have to necessarily worry so much about exactly which bits are doing well and which bits aren't doing well because there's lots of gambles along the way. They're getting to a point now where they're probably not going to have additional funding around. They've had a lot already and so to get the next valuation at a higher level you need to raise a large amount of money which is difficult to do. So what do you You look at that you kind of go back to looking at the business? I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head but the UK has seen strong advertising growth but their costs have grown slightly faster. Peretti said the other day that... Jonah Peretti, the CEO. (laughs) Yep, I think news is an area that they're going to particularly double down on and concentrate on. I think when we perhaps see who will face having to leave BuzzFeed. It'd be interesting to see which areas that is and, and, and what's kind of kept.
2: Well, this is it. I mean, the the move into, if you like, serious journalism that BuzzFeed have unquestionably managed to reposition themselves with, was that something that users ever really wanted? I mean, I used to go to BuzzFeed for the, for the listicles and for, you know, here are 10 things you only know if you went to Warwick University in 2009. That's the stuff that used to get shared on Facebook. And it's been very encouraging and interesting that they're investing in original British journalism, but I didn't sense that that's what my friends who were sharing that stuff on Facebook wanted to see.
0: Yeah, I'm the same. I I wouldn't go to BuzzFeed's homepage as my daily news, you know, that's where I go to look what's gone on overnight. But from what I hear, you know, these 5,000 plus word articles, they do these really long depth in, you know, deep dives... People do read and, you know, there's statistics, I I don't know them, but from what I've heard from journalists there is that they do have actually quite high attrition rates of both sharing and people actually reading to the end of the articles. So it might be that we kind of underestimated this youth market that actually maybe they do want deep-dive, well-written, complex stories as well as their listicles and their cat gifs.
3: I think also what's perhaps interesting is it's a a relatively small news team and the article and the stories that they cover are interesting investigative different stories they're not trying to fill space with rewriting something that you get on pa because actually the equivalent of that is the listicles which some is some of it is written by users of the site as well as some of the the team there so probably their kind of bang for buck hit rate for the journalists they've got is perhaps perhaps higher than you get generally across lots of
2: newspapers. But also, was it just naively built on the assumption that advertising revenue was going to go up? And it isn't, it's going down. Everyone's projecting that in the next year, internet revenue from display advertising is going to go down. Well, more.
3: I think not necessarily that, I think it's the percentage that Facebook and Google take of display advertising revenue has grown faster than the market as a whole and I think all online publishers assume that it would be growing and that the percentage they could get would at least stay the same and that's not the case and so there is definitely a shakedown that there isn't the money available I think the other bit is, you know, the pivot to video meme of that's actually where the high value CPM stuff is has started to fall apart a bit as people realise, guess what, video's really hard to do and again a lot of that money is going into youtube and and facebook which is rolling out their own new video product this year it's it's very difficult to get hold of this to hold of this revenue facebook themselves that put i think about 50 million quid into facebook live video and and sort of uh, forward funding news organizations to make video for their platform have just have just put all that money so you know there's lots of monetary threats i think to both old and new web media platforms.
2: And to that audience that you were talking about at the opening of the show, people who watch gamers online playing video games and talking about it, and that's their entertainment, does BuzzFeed actually seem like an old establishment name?
3: I think a lot of the, the media question for younger audiences is, is the traditional one that we've always had, which is, is that something my mum reads mm. or my mum listens to or my mum watches? And BuzzFeed does pass um, that test now, and, doesn't and, it? And for, for for people who grew up with it in their early 20s, you know, it's, starting, it's probably starting to become that. But I think what BuzzFeed does have is excellent ability on social to promote what they do.
2: And they have great ideas that cut through and that will cut through to, I think, any audience if they continue doing that well. And Janine Gibson as well from The Guardian did do well, didn't she, in handpicking some young British journalists who have made a name for themselves clearly are going to go on to other things if they're leaving. Yeah. BuzzFeed, I mean, I, I think of BuzzFeed now, I think of Jim Waterson on Twitter, I think of uh, James Ball and Louise Ridley, regular contributors to the media podcast, of course. Mm-hmm. James has just left, but I mean, you know, they, they, she did do very well there.
0: Yeah, no, there's some fantastic um, journalists there. And positions, you know, these new innovative positions like the LGBT, TQ reporter having somebody just looking at that area is completely revolutionary in a way but you know it just shows there's kind of thinking outside of the box there and the ways that they kind of push their stories out through their app and through Snapchat and other things like that you know they, they are reaching audiences that others aren't who knows what would replace that I guess.
2: Okay let's see how podcast ad revenues are doing at the moment you'll find out if there's an ad inserted now if not we'll be back talking in a few seconds. <laughs> This episode of the media podcast was recorded at Run VT in the heart of Soho. Run VT has 15 offline and 2 online suites as well as a spectacular bass-like grading theater to go alongside this here dubbing suite and voiceover booth. But what can I watch that Run VT have been working on recently? Well, how about the Sky Arts doc Passions with conductor Andrea Colombini discussing his love Of Puccini. It's available to watch now on demand. Edit your next show at RunVT. Go to runvt.tv now.
0: Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Time for some news in brief now. Maeve and Matt are still with me. Apple have been on an audio spending spree this past month or so, picking up a couple of interesting companies. Matt, tell us which ones. Yeah, so they've just bought
3: Shazam, seemingly for about $400 million. Good news for the Shazam team, who have been at shemazing, it. amazing, Nicole Scherzinger would say. What is amazing <laughs> is that they've been getting a long time. You know, Shazam, I was trying to think sort of early noughties, Obviously, what Shazam does is uh, allow people to work out what songs are played, and then models change. You know, to start with, we'll remember dialing two five eight O down the middle of your phone, and you then hold it up to a speaker. And no, that was, you were an early
2: adopter. Uh, that no, was no, first. No one ever one. did that. <laughs> wow.
3: uh, uh, and then, obviously, they really kind
2: of took off when. Um, How did it work? How did you get the? Did you get a text message back saying yes? What the song you got a text me what the song was. Wow. Early. When Grace Note was like a serious competitor as well. Uh, <laughs> well iTunes you say accessing the Grace Note CDDB database. But that, like, wow, but, Grace Note.
3: But I think that's it. And that, that evolution into then the app that was really its transformative measure, where people weren't then paying 30p a go to get that text message. And then the model became uh, affiliate revenue to buy those songs often through uh, through Apple. And so... What's that, that transition now? There's some news this week that it looked like Apple have a sunset plan for uh, pay-for downloads in iTunes, and that'll be out by 2019. Oh, uh, I hadn't heard that. You heard that, mate. No. They're seeing massive, speedy decline, and where they can make money is obviously Apple Music and subscription. Yeah. Spotify's still doing a much better job than
2: Apple Music is. See, so, that's interesting because I'm someone who am a Spotify user. Mm-hmm. I stream everything on Spotify. I don't like Apple Music as a platform. So the only time I spend money with music on Apple is when I buy stuff because I want to keep it and I'd rather buy it from Apple than Amazon. So they're killing off my revenue.
3: Uh, They are, but what they'll they'll try and do through (laughs) acquisitions like Shazam is to try and onboard more people to Apple Music and It'd be interesting, will they shutter Shazam? Well, normally when they acquire these companies, they sort of get shuttered and then they reappear as a little function in something. I think Shazam has enough of a brand that will probably stick around, but probably more tightly integrated
2: with Apple Music. Tell us about the other brands, the other one they've bought that no one really knows about. Probably only people like you who used to text Shazam.
3: So this is an audio search engine that they've acquired. For me, it's... Ho- so it's called Pop-Up Archive? Yes, and and what... I hope it means is that there's more interest within Apple for podcasts. You know, oddly, Apple is the place that most people get their podcasts from. It has the biggest market share. It has an incredibly small team. You know, it was looking like a handful of people globally work on on Apple's podcasting. And if they're listening, I love them all. Yes, and especially when they put people in new and notable on the chart. But um, there hasn't been a lot of innovation around the podcast product from Apple or from anybody else. And acquiring a search engine that can listen to podcasts, turn its you know text to speech to text to make that searchable and make things like this podcast more discoverable hopefully is going to be a good thing
2: so that's you think what they're going to be using this technology for you think is going to help them finesse recommendation
3: i would have so thought if so, you yes.
2: like this american life's episode about autism here are 10 other shows which mention autism
3: or just search you know, one of these if you search for farming you know it'll pick up podcasts that mention farming in the title and when you talk to podcasters they talk a lot about you know The descriptions of um, podcasts and front loading it with keywords and all that kind of stuff. Whereas, actually, what you want to do is you want to search the content of those podcasts to find out something that's a bit more. Tell me every podcast that talks about Theresa May this week or the Brexit Rebels or whatever. Uh, Actually, an audio search engine that has catalogue what's in them is is what you want to use.
2: Yeah, Maeve, uh, producer Matt, and I were at the ACAST Christmas party last night, which is why I sound like this. Um, And one of the topics of conversation when I could hear what anyone was saying, because we were shouting at each other is <laughs> in an ironically terrible room for acoustics was about podcast recommendation. This is still an issue, isn't it? You know, Apple haven't really cracked it. There isn't a place really where you can go and discover new shows. There's only new and noteworthy and asking your mates on Twitter. It's really weird.
0: Yeah. And it's quite a shame because then I think you end up getting siloed into just listening to the same ones. You know, I occasionally find a new one and get quite angry that I hadn't been told about it a year ago because I now have to, you know this backlog of amazing shows and yeah it definitely at the minute it still feels like for all of the really incredible innovative work being done in podcasts we haven't quite cracked that how to tell the wider world about it. How
2: do you get your podcast out there apart from going on great shows like ours of course?
0: Well this is obviously one fantastic way so I'm lucky in in our show we talk to different investigative journalists they kind of have their own followers and people interested in their work they have platforms so you know, we just did a show about the Manchester Evening News investigation so then people that are interested in that might then come back and listen so that's a kind of natural bubbling up I guess but in terms of kind of hardcore promotion I think that's one that I've yet to crack. Your but sometime
2: yeah. partner in crime, James Cridland, Matt, I saw he wrote a really interesting blog this week about whether radio providers and audio providers should perhaps consider whether they're too readily opting into TuneIn, uh, TuneIn being the kind of big internet streaming provider of radio streams, because of Alexa and Google Home and all those things. Because when you say, play me the media podcast, it tries to find you by default in TuneIn and like the Facebook and Google thing, it's a one company that everyone's putting all their eggs into that basket. of.
3: Yeah, TuneIn stands between me and my listeners. You know, it is in, it is a middleman, and they can change their model, of which they've just done. You know, TuneIn historically was basically a radio streaming search engine, but what are they doing now? They're trying to sell a, a monthly subscription package, and they've they put together some content, particularly around sports. And like, do I want to be? An, you know, I run a children's radio station called Fun Kids. Do I want to be an add-on to a American-driven sport subscription service or if they entirely pivot away what happens and i know i look at our numbers about 20 percent of our internet hours are delivered through tune-in if that disappeared tomorrow a chunk of them would find us another way but some would some would disappear i think as you go into more devices who is the default that gets to your media source be a tv one a radio one or, or a podcast one Tune in is, uh, one of their investors is Google. And again, how does it align with what they want to achieve and, and, and what they want to do? I think when I've talked to people who have relationships with Amazon around Alexa and Google around Google Home, they haven't got a clue how to cope with invocations which is saying you know play me fun kids and who should own that and i can now basically register fun kids and and get that first what if there's one in america and will that be geofenced? google don't even allow you to create the equivalent of amazon Alexa skills at the moment and unless you're a baked in partner so for tune in on google home you can't even at the moment stream radio so i couldn't build anything that streamed fun kids I have to have to use TuneIn and you talk to Google about this and they're like uh, oh it's new we haven't really thought about it you know there is you know, this is very
2: much cock up rather than conspiracy but these are and going if, to and if you want to do something about it you have to pay quite a lot of money at the moment right you need um, your own web developer or you need to pay another middleman to you know here's 500 pounds to make sure we're on yeah absolutely we're a skill and, which then, is a lot for a podcaster to pay
3: yeah and it's not the world's most complicated things to do but it's still another platform you know you've got your mobile app or uh, you know Google Home and you've got to do Alexa and whatever else, Sonos, whatever else comes along the line. I um, mean, you know, Sonos have launched with Alexa in some of their newer devices, but most of the audio streaming doesn't work through it because they've rushed it out the door. And it's like, you sell speakers! Like, the, all the audio skills should probably work. And they're like, oh, we, we will, and we'll get there, and we'll get there. And I think we're, a lot of the, the speaker end, it's very much the early days, like the early days of the internet, or the early days of apps. Oh, we need an app. Why? Uh, Because everyone else has got one. Or um, I needed a website and I get my domain name sorted out. I think we're sort of dropping to a bit of that. The good thing, of course, on Google Home or Alexa, and even if it is through the evil tune in, you can just go, Alexa, play Fun Kids, and it will. I, hope I'm activated fact, yeah, I was going to say, there.
2: anyone listening out of their on mm. us, but with an Amazon Echo in the room is now listening to Fun Kids as well as us at the Good. same time. How does it sound, folks? Sticking with the artificial intelligence, Maeve, you were here last time discussing a project that the Press Association were trialling with AI, and they've reached a, an important milestone this week.
0: Right, so they've brought out some of their first stories using this new system, which is kind of pure... I, f- I forget the term for it, but it's kind of computer-written articles where they have taken a data... It's robots system,
2: writing articles.
0: Basically, and it has some great... It's a Black Mirror
2: episode that's happening.
0: It kind of <laughs> is, and it's hard not to get... Uh, you know, my, my natural inclination is to get a bit panicked, especially for, for as a journalist. But, yeah, there's some really interesting... Potential, I think, trying to look on the positive sides of this kind of computational model of, of using AI or, or computers to do some of the heavy lifting of the kind of slicing and dicing of data. So the stories that I've seen that were put out, Press Gazette did a good article about them, looked at a data set on whether parents that were married or weren't married were having more children in different areas. And it seems like what the system did was kind of take a big data set, cut it up, work out whether your area was more or less than the national average, and then could kind of write you a a pretty basic story based just on that data. Which is interesting, but I don't know if that is journalism completely, because for me, reading those stories... What I wanted to know was, well, why? What's happened in this area that's different to that area? Is there something going on with the education models or the local religious groups or the, the demographics that could explain some of this? So I think just at a minute, it seems to be able to slice data. That's great, but is that journalism well and is it reliable
2: i mean because in the world of fake news you know if a computer just scans a thousand news sites and concludes a series of facts they may not actually be facts because it's not prioritizing the guardian and the telegraph over some bloke in a bedroom in russia
0: yeah that's definitely a concern and also the potential for data itself sometimes can tell you a story that isn't actually real so it might be that a big shock that there aren't farms all over Soho, you know, that's actually a human would know that's not that scandalous comparing this to Norfolk, but a computer might not know that. So it might produce a story that says what's going on with London farms in central London. So, yeah, this kind of human element, I think, is still always going to have a place. That's not to say that there isn't stuff that you can do with bots and with gathering up data and, and using computational methods to help your journalism. But I think that's just one stage. And I guess the concern is also that, especially for the local journalists, which this you know project is meant to help potentially local journalism projects, that time and resources, is that if you spend all your money or you take this copy, does that mean you don't get a reporter yeah. doing that? Do you not employ somebody? And then who goes to the council meetings and who goes to scrutinise budgets? And these are elements that a human needs to do.
2: Are you looking into using or do you use AI to help you programme radio stations?
3: That's an interesting question, isn't it? Research, lots of radio stations are very research-driven. Some of it's slightly algorithmic, so you can can look at the pop cycle for a record, so in its sort of discovery phase, and then familiarity and favour, and then when it burns. And you can do elements where you predict that. A Robbie Williams record or an Ed Sheeran record will tend to follow a similar pattern. And potentially, I think you could probably use AI to to be better at predicting
2: some of that than humans are. And possibly in suggesting, you know, this is the record you should start the hour with because more of our listeners like it? Yeah, I think when you, when you combine it with data, so things like app
3: usage data when people start listening doesn't really mean anything necessarily because there's a million reasons why they started listening why they stopped or why they switch channel can give you quite a lot of information and i know that for the radio player guys so uk radio player which powers quite a lot of uk radio have, have a lot of analytics built in that can track that that data and for groups who have a number of radio stations on it they can start to see start to see what happens
2: Right. I want to talk to you about something that I know caught your eye this week from the Netflix technology blog. Yes. Um, I was reading this on the way in on the train and it was fascinating, but quite a deep dive into how their algorithms work to the point where I stopped reading halfway through and I read about a thousand words. (laughs) But summarize it for us we
3: all know that Netflix is pretty good at algorithms and telling us what we should be watching based on what we've watched previously and what people like us watch but they've gone a step further by delivering different thumbnails so the images that you see on Netflix based on the kind of things you like so if they think you'll like a certain, so if they think you'll like goodwill hunting but then I look at I get this the standard image which is the two of them together that we've probably seen on a million DVD cases over the years yes that might not be the best way to get get me to watch it. Because now, you might like Matt and Minnie. Yes, yeah, so if I like romantic comedies, I might like Matt and Minnie on that bit. Or if I like Robin Williams, I might like to see him on it. So yes, yeah, so they've started iterating multiple versions of all their thumbnails and then A-B testing them against all the rest of their rules to get you more likely to click through. The r- main reason that I sort of retweeted it out was, God, in other parts of the industry we were so behind. when like, we've got our regular prediction algorithms working, let alone a b to z testing thumbnails to to get people to take that extra click but i think it just sort of shows the power of the data and also the data set you know netflix have an amazing data set of all this consumption of all of all of their subscribers and they're trying to do one thing really well which is to get you to watch more things uh, yeah, the the more consumption you get on netflix the more likely you'll keep subscribed to it
2: but other media outlets could learn from this couldn't they so uh, to take an online newspaper for example take the times mm. It might be that I like Matthew Paris as a columnist, so the picture should be of Matthew Paris. It might be that I'm interested in Theresa May as a subject, so the picture should be of Theresa May. Or it might be I'm more likely to bond with a satirical view, so they should put the cartoon.
3: Absolutely, and and I think there's always been little elements of that. I know that for iPlayer, they've been looking strongly at how images are performing and then kind of iterating images for everyone just kind of based on the, the data that, that they have but yeah I think part of the difficulty with there being so much content actually is that I don't come across things that I would like because of how it's been described and obviously the more information people
2: have the better job they can do at, um, encouraging me to consume that and Maeve another version of my previous fake news question for you <laughs> without getting too philosophical does this actually change the way that we encounter art because if it's all personalised, it's not a real reflection of, of what the makers of that show wanted us to see necessarily, or even what we would personally get from it. It's a computer guessing, second guessing, what we might like, which might then under-deliver. Like if you're watching Goodwill Hunting because Robin Williams is in it, you might be disappointed.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking that, you know, would I like Grease because I like Pulp Fiction? You know, just <laughs> because there's the same actor doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, your tastes are the same. And I don't know, there's something in me that that irked at the idea of that kind of being manipulated down a certain path I already feel like on Netflix I sometimes a bit patronised by the shows that they you know you like shows with a strong female lead well yeah <laughs> sure but you know there's other elements that I, I would like and look for so um, there's the danger that you then yeah, get pushed. I wonder how personalised
2: that'll be by the way because I, I get strong female lead as well and I always assume that wasn't a personalised thing it,
0: it would be nice if everything had a strong female but, lead wouldn't but, it that but, that wasn't the exception but what if it said
2: like you know if you if you like Top Gear what if it said you know other shows featuring three straight white men like would that be problematic
3: well that's, isn't that like most television yeah, <laughs> <obviously>, <laughs> arguably
0: uh, yeah at the minute I'm not sure they've got it completely cracked and I think that Yeah, there's a danger that then you only ever watch the things that you get pushed to watch rather than looking for something completely new. Then, you know, the move away from TV, I think, and newspapers to online consumption of both news and TV shows is that you end up just watching the same thing. I know personally when I read a newspaper, I'll read articles that I would never have clicked on online. Mm. It's the same thing if I was watching TV and just had it on the background. I would see things that I wouldn't see if I only ever, you know, was seeking out the same old thing yeah, and sometimes
2: you actually choose something to challenge you mm-hmm. you choose something because you think oh, okay i haven't seen something french for months i'll watch that because it's french not because it's got someone in it who looks a bit like someone who was in a film I saw. yeah 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 <laughs> um <laughs> finally just before the quiz and before i die <laughs> let's talk about radio kelvin mckenzie is back matt yes uh, the founder of talk sport is launching two new speech radio stations for london you're familiar with this idea, aren't you, Matt? Explain yes. why. Remind um, us why. Well, number one, Kelvin loves
3: radio. So Kelvin used to own Talk the company that owned Talk Radio and Talk Sport. He turned Talk Radio into Talk Sport. And he loved he loved that business. And he made a, a decent chunk of it when he sold it to UTV. And over the last few years there's been a few rumblings of him wanting to kind of get back in. I think we've reached a point now where where particularly DAB penetration is strong and the capital is even stronger he's launching a new station a speech station a sports station is what's been said I think it's a speech radio station is hard. Five Live, Radio 4 do a great job. LBC have spent a lot of money and worked really hard. And 40 years. Uh, to, to to get to where they have recently. And actually, LBC is a little bit niche, nicher than speech. You know, it's really a politics radio station fundamentally. And Talk Radio, as a, a new entrant, been, been around 18 months, is finding it difficult to find its feet. It's got about like a quarter of a million listeners. I think they'd probably like double that. Talk sport has done well, up to about three million. TalkSport 2, which was launched again 18 months ago, has done all right with sort of spillover rights from, from the main TalkSport. Where I think there is a gap, sport, I, I think there is a good opportunity for a youth sport radio station.
2: Calvin McKenzie's not the man to do that.
3: Well... What's interesting? I don't know if if his son Ashley will be involved, but Ashley ran, I think it was called Outfit Seven, which was a a YouTube kind of multi-channel network. Okay. Um, and so there's something interesting there. It would perhaps be a surprise if he went and did a. a well, the reason I say that sport is I it's also
2: being simulcast on Medium Wave, isn't it? The sport variant. And you sort of think, well, if the business model is based on being a rival to talk sport on medium wave, it's quite hard to be a youth brand, isn't it?
3: But if people who consume sport consume it on AM for 5 Live and talk sport, putting another sports station on there is not a dreadful idea if you can do it really cheaply. And for awareness driving, for people who do flick around to find that premiership football match, is it on 5 Live, is it on talk sport? It's perhaps not a a terrible idea. Um, But like a youthful sports service, I think, would be really interesting. More like a, a joe.co.uk model or a kind of lad Bible-esque end of things but that would take real effort and real money a big pile of cash to do well I was talking to someone the other day that they would say oh would you go and work at um, Calvin McKenzie's speech radio stations, I was like it wouldn't be at the top of my list of things to do but if the money was spent on say the visualisation end and the digital end and the online end and creating that as a interesting multi-platform thing potentially, are they the people to do it?
2: Perhaps the jury's out well, when you talk about multi-platform, I mean, at LBC, notably in the last few months, has started doing podcasts. Richard Suchet does a new show for them now. Ian Dale and Jackie Smith have a show. All the stuff that they used to be paid for is now free. So you kind of think, well, is it possible to launch a talk station that is just a station that isn't about, you know, online and on-demand listening as well?
0: Yeah, and I can imagine that quite quickly it might morph into that because that does seem to be the way that everybody's going and consuming things more and more, especially if you... You know, sport, I think, is is one thing that obviously people listen to live and and need to be there listening to live. But the kind of other elements of it, the kind of deeper dives into the background of things, they they work so well on podcasts that it might well be that it moves towards that model. But the problem
2: is no one seems to want to listen to a recording of Fred from Dewsbury calling up about Brexit two days ago. They want to listen to a special show that's not a live radio show. So there's an issue there, isn't there, with converging your brand. It is a live radio station into an on-demand. Yeah and I think
3: there's this doing slightly different things. Is what what's the the core skill? The core skill is storytelling and how you do it and the the techniques and the kinds of things whether that's callers or investigative stuff or even strong personalities having an argument which is done quite well on on podcasts and also is done in other markets so If you look at America with podcasting, what's done really well is the sort of This American Life structured documentary. And the reason it's done well is because it doesn't exist on broadcast radio. Whereas here, we haven't really seen a huge amount of that because we've got a really strong documentary history with with the BBC. And actually, if I go and pitch a great idea to Radio 4, I get 12 grand for half an hour and, and do it that way. Now, what hasn't worked so well in America is three people in a room talking about a topic, because they have that on broadcast radio, whereas we don't, so what are we doing here? It's two people <laughs> talking about a topic. Those sorts of shows do better in podcasting here in the UK. So I think there is a bit of form, competition, what the right content is, and adapting what you do to, to fill that need and also that platform.
2: Okay, well, talking about filling needs, it is time for the media quiz. This week, it's entitled Netflix and Ill Behaviour. The on-demand video company have given us a tantalizing glimpse into the data they hold on their users. What I want you to do is fill in the blanks in the tweets from their official account this week. It's best of three. Buzzing with your name. So Maeve, you will say. Maeve. And Matt, you will say. Matt. The winner gets a subscription to Hulu. The loser tries to find original content on Audible. Here is official tweet number one. To the 53 people who've watched blank every day for the past 18 days, who hurt you? Maeve. Maeve.
0: I think it was a christmas prince correct the christmas, which i've never seen but maybe i should now if everybody's watching it
2: well from the synopsis when a reporter goes undercover as a tutor to get the inside scoop on a playboy prince this sounds well up your street oh, it's my life <laughs> uh, why haven't
0: netflix been recommending this yeah, to you no strong female lead uh, so probably. Yeah, probably
2: not. Uh, she gets tangled in some royal intrigue even better and ends up finding love but will she be able to keep up her lie? Starring Meghan Markle. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be watching that tonight. Here is uh, Netflix tweet number two. One unidentified Netflix user in the UK has watched blank 357 times to date in 2017. Mave. Maeve. Maeve.
0: I remember this one. For the win. Was it the Bee Movie? It was. Well, <laughs> the Bee. We and <have> <laughs> half a
2: point because it's just called B Movie. Oh, it's a pun, you see.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah, I yeah, get yeah. it now. <laughs> yeah.
2: But uh, yes, the uh, animated thing with is it Jerry Seinfeld playing yes. a bee? I believe. Mm. Never watched it because I thought, well, I've I've seen ants, it's that, bees, it? <laughs> and uh, here is the final Netflix tweet. Although actually, it's not from Netflix; it's from Spotify. But they've also been spying on us and sharing our data to humiliate us. The person who put forty-eight blank songs on their I Love Gingers playlist. Matt. Yeah, it's kind of obvious. Ed Sheeran? Yes, it is Ed Sheeran. But nonetheless, Maeve, that means you are the winner. Congratulations. That's it for our show today. My thanks to Maeve and to Matt. You can catch up with our previous episodes and get new ones as soon as they're released by subscribing for free on our website, themediapodcast.com. And remember, you can give the gift of life this Christmas by taking out a voluntary subscription. Just a fiver a month can keep us going in 2018 head to themediapodcast.com slash donate and please give generously i've been ollie mann the producer matt hill the media podcast is a ppm production until next time bye bye hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter